Hey, this is Adrian Hernandez, and welcome to the NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speaker and ask some of the tough and interesting questions you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of our Grand Rounds content can be found at rethinkingclinicaltrials.org. Thanks for joining. Today we're here with Josh Denny, who will be reflecting on advances at the intersection of digital health, electronic health records, and pragmatic clinical trials. Um, Josh, we're so happy to have you on this uh, podcast recording. Um, welcome. Thank you very much, Leslie. It's great to be here. Let me start by just asking you to reflect a little bit on your really deep experience using electronic health records for discovery. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of how you approached that and, uh, and maybe what you learned. You know, it's, a, a, uh, it's been a long journey for me, and it began uh, really as a medical student thinking about um, in the early days of an electronic health record system at Vanderbilt, which was homegrown, of, you know, how you could start to take some of those observations we were making and try to systematize it. I remember um, uh, just some early patients with phenomena that you realized, you know, just didn't have much literature around them. And uh, I remember seeing an early case of a patient with um, a triple drug therapy uh, for HIV, and he had come in with a, a myocardial infarction. And uh, there was really no literature at the time of whether or not that could be uh, any, have any relationship to his protease inhibitors or the drugs that he was taking, but otherwise was, you know, an unusual candidate to have a myocardial infarction. And um, thinking it would be uh, so powerful if we could use the electronic health records to to mine for this kind of information. And so, um, uh, you know, really since uh, uh, late in medical school and um, then through my residency and, and uh, faculty career, um, I, I, I tried to use electronic health records and find ways to harness that um, information that we collect really as a byproduct of clinical care. Um, uh, to, to be a powerful tool for research. And um, it really uh, has proven to be a powerful tool in a lot of, a lot of settings. We've learned that, you know, um, uh, everything that we thought was uh, maybe just going to be at our fingertips and things that we thought would be easy or not, maybe not so easy, but, um, but there are also is an incredible wealth of things that you can use electronic health records for. Um, and uh, questions that you never thought you would be able to ask and answer um, that you can also um, uh, dig at with electronic health records and maybe answer questions you couldn't have answered any other way. Yeah, your, your point about um, it not being quite as easy as maybe you thought it would be. I think uh, many of us who have worked with electronic health data in a variety of settings have that um, really unfortunate realization early on in the early on in the process and it, it's an important one um, so as you know the the collaboratory um, really is is focused on pragmatic clinical trials and and figuring out how best to do pragmatic trials that are embedded in healthcare delivery um, really electronic health records are are central to that. Um, 
Can you can you tell us a little bit about the work that you've done with natural language processing and how how that has potential really to benefit um, clinical trials and certainly any any experience you've had um, doing that kind of work? I actually got started with electronic health records through uh, natural language processing or NLP which is perhaps surprising. I think most people uh, in most environments started with more structured information, especially billing codes. Um, One of my early projects was looking at a rare physical exam finding and and looking at its uh, impact on mortality. Uh, What we started with is a premise that you could take electronic health records and you could take their natural narrative content and, you know, really try to understand the course of, um, uh, uh, the diseases um, and treatments that an individual has. Uh, when we were starting this, there wasn't a good record um, of medications an individual received um, in a structured format. So the only way to get that was through NLP. And we found that we could provide um, a good uh, record of medication exposure and uh, dosages um, uh, you know, using NLP and use that for, for instance, pharmacogenetic studies um, and find things that we were supposed to find. You know, a lot of that still required manual curation, but it it um, uh, would reduce the hypothesis space from, you know, everyone exposed or everyone that might have a certain outcome to, you know, a much smaller um, uh, data set. In some cases, we could do it entirely um, through automated means, such as um, uh, with warfarin pharmacogenetics. Um, we were able to, you know, build our warfarin dose response really entirely using NLP because we got it, you know, accurate enough. It wasn't perfect. But it was accurate enough that over you know lots of people you can define really good understandings of uh, dosages and and uh, INRs that individuals uh, had with on warfarin and then um, associate that with um, genetic changes that would predict those uh, that relationship. That's a great example, um, Josh. And what um, talk a little bit if you would about how how those approaches translate across institutions. Um, what, what do we know about that? You know, we've uh, been building through part of the Electronic Medical Records and Genomics Network um, phenotype algorithms across multiple sites um, for, I guess, a little over 10 years now. Um, and, uh, you know, when we started that, we believed that um, you could... Uh, uh, probably build the, we, we thought building such an algorithm and transporting it would be, you know, easier often than it was. Um, you find even with billing codes, some of those billing codes, you know, are, are, would be different in how they're used at different sites and they get, they're used differently at different times. Uh, some of the elements like looking for exposure to contrast media in, um, uh, radiology reports, you know, that kind of stuff actually transports really pretty well. Um, and, um, uh, so, you know, what we found is we've been able to take a lot of algorithms and, uh, if you think about how they work in a couple different sites, um, a lot of times they seem to transport pretty well. If you take our, uh, type two diabetes algorithm we developed in eMERGE, you know, when we looked at this, I think in like 2016 or so, we found that about 40 other sites had adopted and used it within their healthcare systems. Um, and for the most part, the system just relied on um, structured elements, uh, medications, lab results, billing codes, 
um, and transported pretty well. One of the things we found that has been really tra- uh, challenging for people to implement across a number of sites has been natural language processing. Um, if you think about algorithms coming into either being a, a combination of Boolean logics like and or not um, versus you know uh, machine learning approaches, which are uh, becoming increasingly interesting and, and powerful, um, uh, we find that the uh, the and or not kind of logic, the Boolean logic based algorithm and deterministic logics, um, you know, maybe uh, transport better than those built on machine learning. Um, uh, it's not universal, but it is, um, it has to do a lot with, you know, kind of data elements that came in. Uh, one example I've been talking about machine learning um, uh, is one of the algorithms we built early on in this process um, uh, was finding patients that um, had colorectal cancer. And we, uh, when we really investigated the model, it was getting just amazing performance in our data set, uh, really honestly, probably too good to be true, is it was learning uh, some of the features based on the formatting of the vital signs. Um, and obviously that's something that doesn't transport to necessarily another, um, uh, another site, nor is it stable within our own EHR. Um, and so um, you have to make sure that those kinds of algorithms, before you think about transporting them, are, <laughs> of course, stable within your environment, and that you try to um, uh, minimize the, the ways in which they learn features that are not actually you know, medically or biologically relevant to predicting the disease or you know, a phenotype you're looking for. Yeah, that's um, really, really important learnings. And again, as you said, probably um, early on, we um, many of us who've who've done work in the in this area think um, it should be easier than it actually is, and then we're we're reminded of of the complexity in the system that that makes uh, makes using any kind of data more challenging than than we might expect. Um, you know, Josh, I I I was certainly very excited to to uh, hear of your move to the All of Us Research Program, and would love to shift the conversation to hear more about All of Us and the work that you're doing there. Certainly. Um, we joined, uh, our family and I moved up here in January of 2020. Um, it's been a, a, an eventful um, last five months. Um, and for our nation, uh, for the world, um, uh, I've, I've been involved with all of us, though, since um, uh, really uh, the end of 2014 in some fashion. Um, and so uh, uh, jo- joining it from the NIH perspective was a, uh, there's no such thing as maybe an easy move, but it was a very natural move um, and um, one I've been very excited about. Uh, I think uh, a lot of the, all of us is built on some of the kinds of works we've done in other networks and just trying to scale them and really, you know, um, getting at some of the ideas that you have behind the NIH Collaboratory in building a a population that um, uh, is useful for many different kinds of research uh, by coming in, by being recontactable, by um, uh, sharing electronic health record data, as well as, you know, survey data, biospecimens, and um, looking towards a future of linking in other types of information, um, as well as uh, we have some digital health technology information coming in now, you build a cohort that could be useful for you know, discovery research, for uh, clinical trials, um, for um, types of information that you get from the health record, as well as types of information you get that are patient-reported uh, outcomes. And we can look at those exposures, those um, outcomes all over time. Um, so we've been very excited to um, become part of this from the NIH side. 
and um, think of how we can uh, help propel um, research uh, going forward. And you mentioned, you know, it has been quite quite a, a few, uh, several months uh, since you arrived in, in uh, uh, with the NIH. Um, can you at least touch a little bit on, on how you see all of us um, helping to address the, the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic? Certainly. So, you know, all of us is uh, first and foremost, you know, a platform. Um, we partner with our participants to produce a research platform um, that many others will use. And so um, I'll just say briefly that um, uh, the what we call the researcher workbench by which people can come in and do research on the platform. Um, is now uh, available in, in, in its beta launch. And so um, uh, researchers, at, uh, academic researchers at U.S. institutions right now in this beta uh, forum can come in and, and start using their resource. That being said, you know, most of the data um, are, uh, or actually all the data that are out there right now are, are pre-COVID-19. Um, and so since uh, COVID-19 has hit, we've, uh, like many other research projects, um, uh, had to adjust. And part of that, the first element of that is um, a safety and, and what we need to do to respond. And so we uh, paused all of our in-person activities in March. Um, and then the next um, uh, element of that is, is how can we help? Um, and uh, we have um, decided to pursue a couple elements. One is looking at antibody prevalence in individuals who enrolled March 2020 and before. So we've had about 3,000 people contributing biospecimens each week. Um, and as we look back in time, uh, we should be able to get some evidence of where and when the um, virus came into the United States and um, you know which populations it seemed to infect with our, um, we have a very diverse population with over 50% um, uh, racial and ethnic minorities and over 80% being underrepresented populations uh, by some um, metric, uh, whether it be socioeconomic or education, um, uh, rural location versus um, more common or sexual gender minorities. And then so this, um, uh, the antibody tests are one of those. The other two are, uh, we decided to launch a survey that um, investigates the uh, influences of COVID-19 on health more broadly. So mental health, um, social distancing, um, of course, COVID-19 symptoms and diagnoses, and then um, also looking at the effects of things like effects on optimism, resilience, um, depression, anxiety, um, uh, stress, economic impacts, and um, uh, discrimination. Um, which of course is front and center with this country right now as, as we're in June um, and the recent events with George Floyd um, amongst um, uh, you know such a long history but really brought back to the front of our minds um, with what's happening now. Um, so uh, that's a repeated survey that people are answering starting in May and will run through the summer. Um, and then uh, the final thing is we're trying to promote um, uh, electronic health record standards for reporting of COVID-19 diagnoses and testing. Um, to you know, make that resource for uh, researchers, you know, um, robust to investigations around COVID nineteen and lasting impacts. You know, we won't be the tool that allows people to um, uh, really track uh, diagnoses on a kind of day to day basis. We're building a resource that's probably more relevant for long term outcomes and effects. Um, and, um, you know, potentially things like being recontactable for, you know, future clinical trials or things like that could also be part of that. So we're trying to build up that resource that other researchers can come in and, and, and do those sorts of investigations. And of course, we're working with CDC and many others um, on these um, uh, projects. 
Josh, it's it's really um, exciting and and really gratifying to hear how this platform is is already um, being put to to really impact what should be really impactful use. So I'm I'm really glad to hear more about that. Um, you know, I do want to again thank you for joining me today. Um, this has been a great, uh, really a, a great several minutes with you, and I I encourage our listeners to join us for our next podcast as we continue to highlight fascinating and informative changes in the research world. Again, thanks very much for joining us today, Josh. And thank you so much, Leslie. Take care. Thanks for joining today's NIH Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Let us know what you think by rating this interview on our website, And we hope to see you again on our next Grand Rounds, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time.